something at that time seemed to die inside of me. And yet there was a rebirth of self because the death, I think, was all the emotion of my love, my marriage, my relationship, my children, all seemed to come to a head at that time to a point where there was no going back. I couldn't see a going back. Welcome to a Woman's Blessing podcast. My name is Lynette Allen, and this show is dedicated to honoring the strength and resilience of women. Now, over the past 20 years, I've held a lot of sister circles, really, and I've hosted some amazing healing medicine retreats. And in those years, I've been really humbled to hear stories from the women that came and sat with me of how they overcame really, really difficult life situations. And I've come to realize that women are very, very resilient and we are very, very brave, but we don't often celebrate that or honor that in ourselves. And through my career, that's what I've decided to do to help women to honor themselves. I know that we develop courage and determination that we never even knew we had when we find ourselves in really critical times and we pull ourselves through no matter what's going on. This show is about meeting the women who have done that We'll be hearing their most personal stories to reveal how they got through, what they did exactly, where their strength came from in order to inspire you. It's so deeply important to honour these life moments, the girls we used to be, the women we are now, and the women we are yet to become. Now, I'm extremely pleased to have my guest on the show today. She met me uh, earlier this year, a few months ago, when I held a cacao retreat here in Bali. And when I phoned her and we got together on the internet, she said, I meditated and asked for a guide and I got you. (laughs) So I'd like to introduce Sally Warman Watts. Welcome, Sally, darling. How are you? Thank you. Thank you very much for having me on your podcast program, Lynette. It's an absolute honour. Well, thank you, because I have not heard your story in great detail. And I'm going to hear part of it today, I know, for the first time. And I've stopped you talking about it with me so that I can hear it for the first time properly for real. And just before we start, I just wanted to let people know that we are here drinking our cacao, right? <laughs> we are. Yes, we so we are. I, you know, again, I'm blessed that uh, we're drinking this together for the second time this week. I know we, we had um, an online ceremony. Uh, for those of you who don't know, we had an online ceremony for the people that were at the retreat. And it was the first time I'd ever done an online ceremony last night. And it went so well. So I'm definitely going to do more of them. But just before we started this podcast today, I said, Sally, let's have a cup of cacao. So we opened the circle. We did it properly. And um, we are here in a beautiful cacao fuzzy phase (laughs) to be able to inspire people. And just through knowing you and, and meeting you and spending five days with you, Sally, I got to see a lot of you. I got to know you actually deeply, even though there's a lot I don't know about your life. But I feel like you're a sister, a, a teacher to me and a mentor as well. So I really thank you for being here with me so we can talk properly. Thank you. So where do you want to start? You tell us because the women on this show 
generally focus on you know one key area we've all lived we've all had so many life experiences but where would you like to start somewhere that you know you really didn't know how you were going to cope and what happened give us a bit of a a background on where your life will start for this show well i think i think the biggest thing of all i want to to say is that um obviously um i was born in 1952 so you can work that out for yourselves <laughs> um and it was a time of optimism if you think about it the the new queen was rising to the throne the war was over there was an optimism in the air which was lovely but there was also an innocence and the reason i say that and i start there is because that innocence carried me through really and hid me for most of my life so Everything that happened to me through my life, I had to learn effectively from scratch, as we all do, I know. But I wasn't born of a time where my parents spoke about emotions or relationships or anything, really. I think they were just, and the people I was surrounded by, were just grateful to be alive. So if you take that in its context and move me forward through the 50s, 60s, the swinging 60s, though I'm not sure where that where that was swinging. I think it passed me by, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Um, well, you were still young, I guess, eh? Yes. To be swinging. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A bit young, maybe. Yeah. Um, and into the 70s. And I met my first husband. And even that was an innocence. And the relationship developed. So I, I didn't know anything much about men. And took me into a time of learning and discovery. Unfortunately, the men that I had had contact with in my life. The main one was my father, who was an amazing human being. And I suppose everything from that moment on was judged by my father. So I met my husband and uh, my first husband and um, and thought I was in love um, because he paid me attention, etc. And it wasn't until after we were married, because in those days you didn't live together, um, which I absolutely approve of. In those days, you didn't. And that led me through a time of the first phase of my life, really, of, of learning about the world as a whole, which was quite a shock to me. So carry on through that time of moving and learning and understanding. And I discovered that um, my first husband had some mental issues. And mindfulness and mental issues are big now. And they weren't back then. Everything was swept under the carpet. And mm -hmm. I went through a phase with him of discovering that most of his mental illness was brought on by drugs. That's when I, I mention about the swinging 60s because he went through that phase and I certainly didn't. And I knew nothing. I knew nothing about anything. Mm -hmm. I had, um, I gave birth to two children during this period. And then subsequently what happened, my first husband tried to take his own life several times. Um, I was very young. And I'm when I say young, I was in my 20s. So I had a home to run. Yeah. I had That's this hard. Yeah. And I had this husband and I had two children. Okay. Um, so whilst I'm trying to cope with all of this, I was learning about myself in a, I didn't know it then, but in a kind of spiritual way. Mm -hmm. I think I've mentioned this to you before. I, I 
call it the knowing. It's when you kind of know, but you don't know. Mm -hmm. And yet there's an inner voice that seems to hold you somehow. So this part of my life I was going into was very difficult. And I didn't know how I was going to cope with it or get out of it or stay in it or so when you were in that situation you were married with two young children and a husband with mental health issues and who had tried to take his life yes so that must have been I mean how how were you how did you cope were you thinking just get me out of here I, I can't do this or were you committed to to you know being the strong stable one and don't worry we're going to get through how was that time well I came from a time where your parents said to you you've made your bed and now you lie in it wow so did anybody know did your parents know no no they they weren't aware I was an incredibly um private person and you know you and I have had this discussion about yeah how private a person I am and that I'm not used to talking about myself yeah alone issues so I kept it all very inside very very much inside me and to the outside world everything seemed to be well not normal but certainly moving along Mm. I think my parents instinctively knew that perhaps things weren't quite right but didn't know and of course certainly didn't talk to me about it okay so I struggled internally I'm not sure where I got the strength to continue some days I I didn't know how I was going to put one foot in front of the other And the other thing that was um, an issue was money. Because of the mental issues, there was a work situation, as in we had young children, his jobs were very um, fractured. So the money was scarce. And at one point, and I think this was the tipping point, the children were very tiny. And when I say tiny, they were two and three. Mm. And it came that I went to the cupboard and I had nothing in the cupboards. So when people say things to me, which make, I I never say, obviously, um, you shouldn't say that. But when I when people say to me, Oh, well, I've got nothing, you know, I I know what it's like not to have anything. And and I seriously mean, not putting food on the table. Mm. Now, At that time, that's quite a difficult concept to get your head around, really, if you think it was the late 70s. How can Mm. you not put food on the table? Um, Mm. So that was a big source of emotion for me because it was to do with my children. And my priority always in my life has always been my children. And so I remember one day going into the bedroom and thinking to myself, I have to do something. I have to. I have to get hold of this situation. But I I don't know how. And that's when fate seemed to take a hand. I say fate because that's what we used to call it once upon a time. Um, Yeah. We call it the connectedness now, don't we? And And the knowing and the universe. So what happened? Well, this was the third time he tried to take his life for the third time. And it was at that point I realized that I actually couldn't cope. Yeah. And what happened was the medical profession got him very heavily involved then. And I remember where he tried to take his life, he was picked up from an outside area and had to be transported back. Now, in all fairness, what normally would happen, he would come home to the house. But at that particular instance, I asked if the family could get involved and they did, his family. And they took him to their house. Okay. So at that point, 
I remember sitting down and having a conversation with my father. I felt completely empty. I felt completely lost. I felt completely just disorientated by the the whole vastness and of the situation. So I remember my father saying to me, it's time, you have to make a decision. It's time. And I sat there with my children and I thought, these are the most important things in my life. Nothing else is important as them. So it's me now. I have to stand up and I have to make a decision as hard as it's going to be for everybody. And I knew that that in myself, I knew that that was a monumental decision I was going, I was about to make um, Mm. in regard to the change that had to happen in my life. And the change that happened, and I call this my phase two in my life, was I actually had the strength and I remember praying. I was in my father's car driving over to the in-law's house and praying and saying, please, God, give me the strength to make the words come out of my mouth. And I was quite timid when I was younger, but this is why I'm not sure where the strength came from, but somewhere inside of me. And I think it was genuinely the love of my children really and the power that was given to me through the universe now I believe that more than anything and it was at that point in time that surrounded by professionals and the in-laws and my father I remember saying these words and it was I'm afraid the situation cannot continue. My relationship is now at an end. And I know that sounds quite cold-blooded, doesn't it? But I think I'd exhumed from myself so much emotion over those years. Mm. Something at that time seemed to die inside of me. And yet Mm. there was a rebirth of self. Mm -hmm. Because the death, I think, was all the emotion of my love, my marriage, my relationship, my children. All seemed to come to a head at that time to a point where there was no going back I couldn't see a going back there was no Mm. support then in those days there were no um, support groups or help groups or there was nothing the only thing you had was you were either in hospital or you were out Mm. of hospital nothing in between so it was that day that I I made that fateful step really and I remember leaving that house I mean there was a you can imagine there was a lot of tears there was a lot of arguments there was a there was a lot of emotion in that room that day and yet somewhere I had the strength it was almost like I had a a protective shield around my heart that day to stop Because it would be the easiest thing in the world, wouldn't it? And I'm sure we've all done it from time to time when people barrage you so much that you give in. You go, Mm. okay, then. Well, I tell Mm. you what, we'll give it another try then. We'll do this. We'll, okay, we'll go down that route. Yes. And Mm. it's easy sometimes to give in. The hard thing is to stand your ground. And you and I have talked about this before, about Mm. standing in your truth. It's hard at times to stand in your truth in what you believe very strongly 
about. And I had this hidden depth of belief that whatever I decision, that decision that I made would change my life. I knew yeah. it would change my life. I didn't know how. And I didn't know where I was going to go from that moment on, but I just knew. And that's why I say it's so easy for all of us to take a step back and let others move our chess piece on our chess game, because that's what it's like, isn't it? You know, life is a game of chess. You pick you up and you put you there and you just hope for the best a lot of the time. And it would have been easy for me to have given in, but I didn't. And driving home with my father, I remember feeling a complete sense of relief. Do you know, you're not the first person that I've heard that from. I recorded another podcast with uh, Jerry, which um, is already out. And she had the same. She had a moment of clarity where she just went, no, this is my decision. And, and it sounds like you had the same. And I have certainly had the same as well where I went, no. And I think we get that. And that's where the strength comes in. Would you agree? Absolutely. There's a, there is, um, there's a poem by, um, it's called Goeth's Couplet. And it's a poem that I read often. Um, I can't remember it off the top of my head, I have to say. <laughs> but what it actually says is that it's not until you make that decision And when you make that decision, all manner of things open up to you and you become as one with the universe. And when I read, and I mean, it was years later I read that uh, poem and I've used it in my work many times. It's absolutely true. It is a truism that until you make that decision, you're wandering around in the in the wilderness. Yes. And from my experience, you don't know what you're going to do or how it's not like you make the decision to then go, right, well, I'm going to stand over, I'm going to go over here, I'm going to walk in that direction, I'm going to look for a job like this. You don't know any of that. You just know a decision has been made. And I've had that so many times. Yes. And I I think through my life, I've also had that, but none more major than that one. None. Because because like you, and I mean, I have an understanding of your story. It's life changing, completely life changing, but not just for you, but for others. Mm. And when I say others, I don't just necessarily mean my children who, who are amazing human beings and have turned out to be amazing human beings from that decision. But the peripherals, my parents, his parents, him, doctors, everybody that was involved in that situation. It's life changing. Yeah. And and to see a woman stand in her power as well, particularly at that time, because, you know, we're much more used to it now to see a woman, you know, t- take her stand and say, no, this is not happening. We're going to be doing it like this or or I'm leaving. But, you know, you're talking in the what was that, the 1980s? 70s. 70s. OK, so to be doing that in the 1970s. I mean, I have been working in the field of female empowerment for 20 years, and I did some research on women and their power and all sorts of things. And I know that it wasn't until the 1970s, early 1970s, that a woman could get a mortgage on her own. Before that, she needed her husband's permission or her father's permission. 
Absolutely. And my mum got a mortgage. She was one of the first women in my area, in our area as I was growing up, to get a mortgage. And that was a massive thing. So for you to be doing that was huge. Yes, it was. I mean, I even to the point where, I, you know, it was only 10 years before that, that I had to beg my parents to allow me to stay on at school to do my O-level. I see, such different times. Absolutely, because they didn't think an education was necessary for me. I was female, I was going to get married, that was a waste of time. Mm -hmm. So, and that's why now moving forward, when I listen, you know, when I listen to you, when I listen to my daughter, you know, it was very important for my children to have the best education that they could have. And in particular, the, the, my daughter. Mm. So because, you know, you I notice how you are with Livy, you know, she's she's very mature and that's wonderful. Uh, you know, it's beautiful that she knows all the worldly educational needs that she's she's going to require to move her into this big wide world. I had none of that. None. No. And least of all, I think, and women of my age will tell you, we weren't familiar with the male of the species, unless, of course, perhaps you had brothers. I had no brothers. So, you know, learning about a relationship and you have that now and it's it's brilliant. So to go from phase one, which was my, you know, my innocent phase, as I call it, into my phase two, which was for the first time in my life, I stood in my power. And 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 I think that was why I've been thinking that that story about women standing in their power needs to be told very much so. Mm, we still need to hear it today because, you know, whenever I open my ceremonies, as you know, you've sat in many ceremonies now, having learned about cacao with me on the retreat and, and since then, I always open by saying that we drink for the women who stand in their power, but we also drink for the women who are lost and hidden because they are still lost and hidden. So many women, so many women right now. You know, you're absolutely true because most of my friends are younger than me because I see the beauty in youth um, and I see the wisdom in age. Even so, listening to my younger friends, they too struggle from time to time still. Even yes. in even in this day, day and age, we say this mm. in this day and age. Yes, because the world is not sorted yet, is it? We're waiting for phase three now, this the knowing, to take a hold of everybody. So tell me about that transition, because... You go from making that decision, very big decision for, for anybody actually, but certainly back then. Mm -hmm. What key things do you think you did now looking back that even though you, you perhaps didn't plan to do those things, they weren't coping strategies, but what do you think you did to get through that? I, I took control. And what did that look like for you? Right. When you take control, when when suddenly you're isolated, and of course you have two other little people that, that need you desperately, you, mm. you have to take control, I think. You can't go under. You can't give up. You can't sit down. So you then become resourceful. You then start talking to people, which of course you didn't before, because before that, your husband would have done all that, of course. You know, he would have. Um, that would have been his job, even though it wasn't. It would so when you say talking to people, who do you mean? Okay, I spoke to authoritative figures, like I found out what my rights were. I found out 
if I could get help financially. I found out if I could have the support of my parents. And I absolutely did. Once they began to understand and knew, I got Mm. that thought. So I started to get a support network around me, people that could sustain or help me sustain my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And that that was things like where I live. At that time, I lived in a council house. So I went to the council and I asked them what my entitlements were now as a single mother, as a single parent. What was my entitlements? I signed everything myself then. I, I went to the doctors. I changed, I, I changed over the doctors. Everything, I became responsible for everything. My and I, I went to the social workers and I asked, could my children be supported in any way? You know, so that so that we were all supported. It was the start of, of me reaching out. I'd never done that before. I'd never reached out to anybody else before. I'd never asked for help from anybody because I thought you, you couldn't, you shouldn't. But I started to ask help. And that's the biggest thing I can say to anybody who is struggling please always speak to somebody. There is somebody there. There's always somebody there. And it doesn't matter whether you start, as I did, small, going to the council, speaking to somebody at the council that said, yes, you know, I think we can do that. That's that's fine. We can do this. And, And how do you feel about that? And we can arrange for this. And you can have, did you know that you can have, um, we used to call it play school in my day. Do you know that, that your children qualify for two free days at play school? Do they really? Oh, you know, yeah. and, and then suddenly I qualified for two free days at play school, which meant that I could go to work. Yeah. I could start earning my own money. Oh, my goodness me. I could earn my own money. How important is that to women? Yeah. And so the process slowly, slowly began to change. And and the more steps I took, the stronger I became. That's awesome. And that's the way to do it, right? The step by step by step. And let's just reiterate what you said. The more steps I took, the stronger I became. Correct. So it wasn't like all of a sudden, overnight, I became strong. No. See, this is what people hear. And then they, they create a gap between their situation and let's say your situation, and they start, the things they hear in their heads are, well, it's all right for her, she hasn't got this situation, or well, you know, she must have had some money, or perhaps her parents helped her out, or, you know, they'll start to make up things. So it's really nice to hear, it wasn't just an overnight, I decided, and then I was strong, because it doesn't work like that, does it? Absolutely not. Look, I know I was blessed that I had two parents, they never, ever once gave me money, never, my mother didn't believe in that. She, you know, I'd made a decision and and that decision meant that that came with responsibility. Mm. She did things for me like she would come and help me clean the house whilst I was at work. She would buy me things for the house like bleach or washing powder or washing up liquid. She would buy things like that for me, but she would never give me money. But what that does is that then pushes you towards 
the responsibility for yourself, even though it's a slow process. And it was slow. Listen, I like you said, I didn't go from standing in my truth one day and then being this monumental woman the next. That that mm. didn't happen. You know, I needed this that support network that's out there. Like I said, you know, like doctors and social workers and councils and neighbours, and it's it's the whole community. I mean, I believe greatly, as you and I have discussed, in the tribe. Yes. Because you see, if you lived in tribe, everybody would be supporting you. Yes, you have the village behind you, but we don't have that. And that's why these sister circles are so important. And if I take myself back to our villa when you were here, and that circle mm-hmm. of strength and the stuff that we spoke about and the tears that were released. And, you know, that is sacred sisterhood. And those circles are coming back because we need our tribe. Oh, absolutely. Listen, having spent time with you, I now realise at the grand age that I am, that I need to pass what we, what you taught us. You know, I need to pass that on to the next generation. Yeah. And I also realise that the next generation are desperate for it, absolutely desperate to be. Because, you know, our women at the moment are working so hard mm. at everything. Yeah, and that's why I run these retreats, actually, just to take women away from their lives to say, look, five days, let everybody cope, book a flight, because to be in an environment where you are not responsible for anything or anybody other than yourself and what you're going to wear that day and, and breakfast is cooked for you and lunch is cooked for you and dinner is cooked for you. And I mean, we had an amazing chef, didn't we? <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, just to have that is really vital for them to be able to stop and sit in a ceremony and to just release and say, this is actually what's going on in my life right now. Yes. And we need that. We need that sisterhood. Absolutely. And I, I honestly believe there's a gap at the moment. And the gap is this. The gap is me, you, Livy. Mm-hmm. And what I mean by that is I am the product of what was. You are the product of what is. And Livy mm-hmm. is the product of what will be. And what is and I use you, obviously, darling, because of your age. You, you're very similar age to my daughter. And what you've been through and what, not so much you, because you've already learnt, but what my daughter struggles with every day is combining everything that she has to do in her life. And she's she's an amazing woman. But, yeah. you know, we, that, that, what have we done to you effectively is what I'm saying. We, we, we were, and we've struggled and you're, you're us to a Mm -hmm. degree, but Livy, Mm -hmm. you've learnt to pass this freedom on to Livy. And that's what the women will be like. They'll be like Livy. Just to, um, if anybody doesn't know who Livy is, you might have gathered she's my daughter. She's one of my daughters. I have two. One is 25 with two children of her own, my lovely Rosie, who I actually interviewed for our very first podcast. And Livy is her sister, my little girl, who's seven. And she has quite an important role on my retreats. She comes in every morning and blesses the cacao and the plant medicine that we drink. And yeah, but we we bring her up in a different way, which looks really 
very, very different because she does have her power. She's allowed to say no. She Mm -hmm. takes charge over her day and her time. And we don't tell her what to do. We don't quieten her. I used to call that when I ran my empowerment company in the city, I used to call it a little girl syndrome. Because if there's a woman who has been silenced as a child, she will silence herself as an adult. That's very true. Mm. And that, I mean, that's me. That, 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 you know, until recently, that is absolutely me. You know, children should be seen and not heard, was I was brought up with, you know. Um, well, my mum was brought up like that, you see. That was her time. And my nan, I, you know, my mum's mum, I remember her being a really beautiful, kind, lovely, lovely lady. But that was the time children were seen and not heard. That was what my mum was told, along with obviously you. That was yes. the generation, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I honestly see those three phases of womanhood are alive today. Is what I mean. I mean, I'm not, mm. I'm not hating what has happened before or what's going to happen in the future. I'm saying what I can see at the moment, and that's my age group, your age group, and Livy's yeah. age. Group. She is the future. And so are my children, my children's children. You know, that they're, they're all boys. So I can't <laughs> I can't speak from that side of things. But I believe I I because they're being brought up by women like you, mm. and grandmothers like me, those boys will be allowing those women to stand in their truth and they'll be working together as opposed to separately. Yes which is what we need. We, You know, I had a, a podcast, I was interviewed on a podcast the other day, we were talking about feminism. You know, feminism isn't like that we want the world to be run by women and all the men to be <laughs> doing what we say. We don't want that, that would be really horrible. But we just want to be equal and to do things in partnership with them, the feminine in partnership with the masculine. So we talked about when you made that decision, we talked about, you became resourceful, you started to ask for help, you started to have conversations with people in authority. This is this is really good stuff. And the fact that every step made you stronger. Yeah. Now you look back on that time, what do you think is some of the traits that you have that you think, well, that really pulled me through. I, I have this trait about me and, and I really brought that out the cupboard I think by nature I don't quit on anything I think by nature I don't allow anything to level me mm-hmm. I think I'm blessed to be optimistic I was given that quality in myself I'm ever optimistic hopeful we call it even in the depths of despair I wake up in the morning and I'm hopeful <laughs> So tell me how that works, because, you know, I've spoken to so many women who wake up in the morning and they're in fear and they're waking up with panic attacks. Like one of my friends on Facebook this morning wrote that she woke up with a panic attack this morning. So did that just not happen to you or did you just, did, could you have allowed yourself to go down that road, but then said, nope, we're getting up and we're doing this. How did you cope with that? Yes, I think we all can. And make no mistake, in my lifetime, I have had a breakdown because eventually life does take its toll 
and I did have a breakdown, but I don't call it a breakdown. I call it a breakthrough. Yeah. And and that's absolutely true because when you're in the depths of your despair and there's nowhere else to go, you go inside yourself. Mm. Now, your internal conversation makes a massive, massive difference. Your, yeah. in, your internal conversation with yourself is the thing that will make or break you. Yeah. Because when I was having my my breakdown, which was after I lost both my parents, actually, that's when that happened. And I lost them close together. I was absolutely uh, devastated. Doesn't even, that, that, you know, that doesn't even cover it, really. I was devastated, yes. So, um, and, and, you know, I'm at a place now where obviously you can't, you, you think you can't replace that. You can't, what can I do about this? Well, then I realised one morning when I woke up, again, it's all about having a support system as well, finding that support system around you, even though you don't want to talk to anybody, because there are days when you don't want to talk to anybody. Sometimes you just, you just have to. I mean, I can't, I do know that there are people that say they, they can't get out of bed. I, and, I, and I try to understand that. Being an empath, I desperately try to walk in somebody else's shoes on a daily basis. It's very difficult, I know, to walk in somebody else's shoes, but if you're not an, an empath. But I do try. But with regards to myself, how do I get myself? How do I speak to myself? Well, when you're feeling not so bad, that's the time to read. That's the time to, it's it's like you squirrel away this information for a later date. If I was talking to a woman who just said they felt a little down, before you get to your breakdown or your breakthrough, then like a squirrel, start preparing yourself beforehand. Read the books, talk to the people, listen to podcasts go to retreats, speak to wise people, go to do yoga, go to the gym, do those things before so that when you have or if you are going to go through a breakdown or a break, you're going to have a breakthrough. Got some reserves there. There are there are some reserves that you can perhaps call on even in your darkest moments. I think that's such wise words, Sally. Such wise words. It's just what I know. I was born an empath into a family who needed an empath because, of course, you know, I lost my sister. So, you know, my parents needed me to be that empath. They lived their lives then eventually through me. And I understand that. That's why that was my part of my purpose in life. Somewhere inside of me, I had to have a level of resilience. And we all need that resilience to call on. But where do you get it? And that's the big question. Where do you get it? You can go to the doctors and obviously you can have medication that helps in the short term. I did that when I had my breakdown. I went to the doctors. They they gave me some tablets to take all in the short term. I never mm-hmm. thought of it as long term. You know, I've often said about physical pain. You know, you can take paracetamol, you can take cocodamol, you can take any painkiller for a physical pain. But where do you go when you've got heartache or mindache? You have to then perhaps rely on the medical profession. Well, I think that's that's a lot of what I've seen in the past three years is plant medicine. Because as you know, my journey has recently been with 
many, 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 many hundreds of people who do not want to take medication. They want to take responsibility for their health, their heartache, their healing, their trauma. And they're going to plant medicine like ayahuasca and cacao. Mm-hmm. And the things that are associated with that, like meditation and going inside yourself and finding that resilience and breathwork sessions like we did with you, where you find your guides and your strength in another way. Absolutely. That's why I host these cacao retreats now and we'll be doing other plant medicine next year. But that's why I do that, because it's something that people can take home and they can start to take responsibility for themselves with something like cacao and with ritual and with blessings and with, you know, the act of lighting a candle with an intention, that I believe is where we need to start nowadays with heartache and trauma. Yes. And you are absolutely right. And that's phase three. That 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 you've just you've just talked about, that is phase three. And the reason yeah. I the reason I talked about what I've said just before you you said about the, the plant medicine I haven't introduced that because at the moment everybody's looking if you mm. suddenly I know this because I've I've done it I did it one time and you and again you this is not a conversation you and I have had where I've said to somebody you know have you thought about trying meditation yoga plant medicine etc etc and they look at you some people like you're from another planet you're mad I know because it's only just starting I mean we've we've been bombarded with with everybody saying you know no to drugs no to drugs and and there's a fine line between what is plant medicine what is drugs and, and we're only just starting to become aware of the power of psychedelics uh the power of mushrooms that you know the power of ayahuasca the power of cacao we're just starting to learn about that but I do believe that it's coming out of the jungle into the western societies right now because we need it oh do you know I remember I've I've been to the Amazon and um I remember sailing down the Amazon and saying to to my husband this is vast you can't tell me that there's not a plant in here that would cure absolutely every illness on this planet. Yeah. Yeah. Because this planet and and us humans, we are self-sustaining. If every- we let ourselves be. Exactly. But, you know, I think this is a whole different topic, I'm sure. Yeah. I think pharmaceutical companies are not there for our wellness is my personal take. I think they're there for... For profit but you know that's my personal opinion only well that's mine too sally as we start to think about closing our session today yeah as you know in the ceremonies we always honor the girl we used to be the woman we are now and the woman we are yet to become yeah so if you were to say something to the girl you were back then what would you say to her i would say have no fear gosh that's a beautiful thing to hear isn't it that's all I would say, that just that word, have no fear. Oh, that's such a beautiful thing to say. And to the woman you are now. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I have high-fived you and I, I'm high-fiving you over the net as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> You're an awesome woman, Sally, and I was so pleased to meet you because in the meeting of you, you, you were the um, the oldest person on the retreat, which was beautiful because there always has to be one oldest person and I have been the oldest person on retreats before 
But there is, of course, something that I learned through a shaman I met called Malika Dardor. And I, I learned about sacred eldership because on her retreat, I was the oldest. And I was quite shocked. I was like, what am I really? I'm the oldest person. <laughs> I can't believe I was that. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, I actually am. Okay, they're all 20-something. Okay, right. <laughs> they weren't really all 20-something, but they were certainly younger than me. And and I got to do – I was served first. Like I went into the Charlotte first and – you know, it was real. It was really interesting to see that perspective because our society does not honour the eldest first as they do in tribes. No. So we honoured you in that way, and you were served cacao first, and you entered the temple first, and and I think that gave you a sense of, you know, I am the crone. I have so much wisdom, and it is your job now, and it would have been your job in the in a tribal community to to assume the role of teacher. Can I just say something at this point? And, sure. and, you, and you need to know this. You gave me permission. Oh, wow. There you go. Wow. So, and I'm stronger for it. Oh, Sally. And I want to see you do that. I want to see you run your own sister circles in that dome you have coming. For those of you, we haven't spoken about the dome yet, and I know there was a problem with the dome, so it might be a touchy subject, but you are planning on a dome so that you can host sister circles and do your work and you have my complete backing and my complete support you know I will help you in any way because there's anybody who can provide inspiration and backup and advice like we should be getting from our tribe it is you Sally well darling yes thank you for that so the woman you are yet to become do you get a sense of her can you lean into her yes just one word really I'll tell you what she is She's free. So your parting words are have no fear and be free. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's it. It's have no fear. What was the other one? You asked me. Oh, I've made it. <laughs> yeah, have no fear. I made it. I'm free. That's just perfect to end on. Thank you so much, Sally. God bless you. Thank you for being brave enough to tell us your story and publicly I appreciate that so very very much if you have a story of courage and bravery where you had to dig deep into your resilience and find your true power I would really love to hear from because women when they stand up and they tell their stories they give hope and inspiration to those struggling right now and women need a ton of strength sisters women they know and women they don't know to be held by to be heard by and to be inspired by When women celebrate their own courage and honour their stories, we give permission to other women to do the same. Dig deep into your own self-discovery, check out our hideaway retreats, secret coaching calls and divine rituals to get you back on the road to your highest life purpose at www.awomansblessing.com. And from me and Sally, thank you so much for joining us today. Sally, I've got the last bit of my cacao here. I'm going to give you a quick aho. 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 <laughs> Thank you, beautiful lady. Bye for now. <laughs>